Welcome to the Conscious Living Podcast, conversations to educate, empower, and enlighten our world. An uplifting and inspiring series of conversations and talks with your host, Jackie Woodside. We are educating minds, empowering lives, and enlightening souls to create a world where love prevails. In this engaging podcast, we deliver exciting, positive, transformative talks and teachings designed to elevate your life. Now, let's join our host, Jackie Woodside, for this week's session. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for being here with us again for another episode of the Conscious Living Podcast, where we are here to educate, empower, and enlighten our world. Thank you so much for being with me, for being one of the people on the planet that cares about waking up, being conscious, and making a contribution to this planet. I am just so excited and and enthusiastic about our guest today, Marie Elizabeth Molly, who has a background in Chinese medicine and has been a relationship expert and coach for over 20 years. She is the founder of Relationship Alchemy and just ran a beautiful retreat in Mexico for women to explore their cutting edge with relationships. So she has so much wisdom and knowledge. Relationships are And they're just the very central core of our experience of whether or not we're going to be conscious or unconscious in how we walk through our lives. So Maria Elizabeth, thank you so much for being here with us. Why don't you just say a few more things about yourself to help our listeners get to know you? Hi, Jackie. Well, first of all, I just love how you set it up because I love approaching relationships as a vehicle for becoming more conscious and self-aware. Yeah. And I've really been interested in consciousness and on a spiritual path since my teens. So part of it comes out of having grown up between three cultures and always feeling slightly outside. Even though I grew up in the United States, Mm -hmm. I was going to Venezuela and Sweden every year where the bulk of my family lives and English was my third language. So I went through all this dislocation as a child trying to sort out How do I behave here? How do I behave there? What do these people expect? What is this culture about? And through that, I developed this very fluid identity and a tendency to uh, kind of blend and and flow, kind of like water, fill in the spaces wherever I found myself. But I, I had difficulty with really feeling like I belonged anywhere, which I think is one of the most potent things that gets us on a path. Right. Is that sense of lack of belonging. So we start going, well, what is life really about and what's the deeper thing? So I began in my teens by reading Zen books and then really dedicated myself to meditation, followed more of a Hindu path at that point. But uh, and I've just been on this personal growth and spiritual path for the last, well, you know, many years, many <laughs> years, teens, yes. but the um many years and <laughs> My interest in relationships really grew after my own marriage ended. I had a a mostly good marriage, uh, but it didn't really touch the depth of connection that my soul was craving. And after that ended, I thought, okay, all these other areas of my life flow really well and I have clarity and I can shift on my intuition and all of that. And relationship is really the place where I get stuck the most. So I spent, this was in 2012. So for the next several years, I really dedicated myself to studying what makes us tick. What, how do we have more of what we want in our relationships? How do we honor 
what we need honor another person stay as aware as possible even when we don't like what's happening which is the hardest and out of that really grew this desire to help other people do the same and just approach their relationships with more consciousness and as a space to grow beautiful yeah so i i want to dive in right there let's look at this avenue of relationships and when we go unconscious you know, I like what you just said when, we, you know, when we don't like things, when things aren't going the way we think they should. I do think that that's kind of often the rabbit hole of going unconscious. So what is it that you see about relationships, uh, you know, marital relationships, I guess, or, or romantic relationships? Is that mostly what you focus on? Is That's mostly what I focus on, but it really applies, I find, across the board. I mean, Ram Dass used to say, uh, you know, if you think you're enlightened, go spend a week with your family. Your family, (laughs) yes. I have heard that before. Yeah, I do find that my most challenging place to stay conscious is probably with my son and with my mother, Mm. less so with my spouse, because I am the happiest married person that I know. Um, So things, yes, thank you. Things, you know, go quite lovely. Uh, We have very similar values and uh, yeah, we're just so committed to each other and each other's happiness and well-being that that makes my marriage very, very easy. You know, I have a teenage son, I have a mother with dementia. (laughs) And I do find that those times, those places, when I'm kind of up against it, when, as you said, things aren't going the way I think they should or wanted them to go, is when I struggle the most of staying aligned with who I know myself to be, aligned with my values, So what do you see about that, Marie Elizabeth, and what do you teach in your work about that? Well, the first thing I see is that when our nervous system gets dysregulated and we get triggered, let's say somebody says or does something that doesn't land well because of whatever past wounding, trauma, whatever's in the system, somebody says something, it hits a button, and all of a sudden we're no longer really in our conscious frontal brain anymore and we've gone back to the instinctual survival reptilian brain reptilian lizard brain and that's kill or be killed back there you know so like so when that happens it becomes super hard to behave in a conscious manner to stay like you i love how you put that be aligned with you know who i know myself to be it becomes really hard to do that and I think the mistake people make is they try to fix stuff while they're in that state. And my recommendation is always when you notice yourself starting to leave the present moment and starting to leave your capacity to have a conscious and aware conversation, to pause the conversation, take a pause. And I teach to do this in a loving way. You don't just storm out of the room because if you're talking to someone with abandonment stuff, that's going to trigger their abandonment. And then it's going to be that much harder to come back and have a useful conversation. So I recommend doing something like, hey, I notice I'm getting activated. I'd like to take a pause here and and I'll be back. Like I'm going to leave the room, get myself together, and then I'll be back. And the I'll be back is really important. Mm. Because that lets that settles the nervous system of the other person. The other piece as well, uh, especially let's say you have someone in your life who talks to you in a way that that doesn't feel good. They have a shaming tone or a critical tone, or they speak to you just in a way that is harmful. A good thing to do there, again, I like this two-pronged approach. I love you. 
and I will not be spoken to that way. I'm going to leave the room. I'll be back when you're ready to speak to me in a, you know, with more kindness or you're ready to take responsibility for your tone or whatever that part. But again, it's a two-pronged approach where it's like, I love you. Obviously, this is not going to work with someone who has dementia or somebody who's doesn't have, you know, their faculties. But I'm speaking about, you know, people like us who are mostly aware, but sometimes have a tone that's not helpful. Yeah. You can cut that, you know, nip that shit in the bud, like I say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because, you know, uh, by saying, hey, I love you and I refuse to be spoken to like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, uh, that is you, my you know, go-to line with, with my son. Uh, yeah. Not okay for you to speak with to me that way. No one speaks to me in that tone and I'm not going to allow you to either. Um, exactly. And on a good day, he will just... He'll, he'll take it in and pause and stop on a bad day. He'll look at me and be like, yeah, well, I just did. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And then, you know, at that point, it's like, great, those conversations over. Right. To which I exactly to which I affirm. And you may not speak to me that way. And I'm right. done with this conversation. And for I'm now. done. Until yeah, you for, now. for now. For exactly. now. Exactly. It's the for now. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's tough, right? So what is it? Let's go back to marriages. Even, you know, I'm, I'm probably a bad interviewer because I don't have, I don't have like 10 examples of, you know, the things that happened this week with my spouse, but what is it about our marriages in particular, Marie Elizabeth, that, that do make it so triggering? What's the divorce rate now in, in 2023? Is it oh, around 50%? I, I, it tends to hover around 50%. It yeah, can be a little okay. higher among yeah. certain populations. Yeah. Like entrepreneurs actually have a higher divorce rate. Really? Uh, than other folks. I think because I of that drive and and that passion for creating something of impact and value. And sometimes the hours get long, let's say during a launch or something like that. And well, if you're also, a spouse who's secure in themselves, yeah. they if might I get add one more to that. This is one of the things I struggle with as an entrepreneur is the whole never being satisfied. Yeah. Never, you know, like I've had my spouse say that to me, like, can't yeah. you just be satisfied? And I do think that's part of the drive of being an entrepreneur and the creative spirit. And I wonder how that can also spill over into marriage, because as an entrepreneur, you can always do the next startup or the next project or the next new initiative. We're beginners. We're startup people as entrepreneurs. We're not necessarily sustain and stay in the weeds kind of people. (laughs) No, those are often two different people. Yeah, yeah. So what do you see about that? Well, what I see... I mean, sometimes there can be a tendency to go, well, this isn't working and toss it out, right? Yeah. And I really prefer, I encourage people to think of their marriage like a like a plant. And the and the mar the marriage is the container, the pot in which the plant is growing. The plant is really the union of the people in the marriage. And the question becomes, am I watering the soil? Mm. Does the plant need pruning? You know, have we got weeds growing in the soil that we haven't dealt with? Is the soil dry? And and thinking of it in that way, as opposed to just ditching the plant because, you know, it got a little brown <laughs> uh, or because it's talking back to you and, and maybe it's actually saying something useful like, hey, I notice you're working really hard. Do you, you know, want to build in some rest in there or do you have to keep pushing that hard whatever it is 
that the entrepreneur is hearing from the spouse if it's delivered in a tone that can be heard, if it's not whiny and like, you never pay attention to me, like that doesn't tend to be very effective. Right. But if it's delivered like, hey, I care about you and I'd love for to see you have some downtime and actually rest on your accomplishments before you go for the next thing. Right. You know, you there's so much that can be done to revive a plant. And most of all, it's attention. I think what happens also with entrepreneurs, especially is that we get a bit tunnel vision around the thing we're creating and everything else disappears, including our spouses, <laughs> right? There's a way we can get very hyper-focused. And so uh, to me, part of it is my relationship exists to remind me I'm a person, <laughs> But I'm not just a business owner. I'm not right? just a business. Yes, right. Yeah, right. like I'm a person. I'm a woman. I enjoy having a dinner with my partner. You know, things like that. It reminds me to enjoy things in life besides my business. And I happen to have a fiance who, on occasion, for example, in this retreat that we just did, that was a women's retreat, I had him come in and answer a couple of relationship questions at times from the male perspective, because he's brilliant. And he also has a background as a coach. And we're going to offer a couples retreat together where the two of us will lead couples in an experience of deepening and pleasure and enjoyment and improved communication and teamwork and all of that. But my business is not his thing. It's his, he's got his own things he's into and you know, he'll dip into my world for a while, but mostly we each have our own things going on and that works well for us. So we come together to enjoy. Nice. Nice. So what are the, so you work pre predominantly either with couples or with people who want to talk about relationship issues. What are the common themes that you see in, you know, kind of the relationship challenges that people bring to you and, and how do you understand them? Yeah, I, I primarily work with women, actually. Couples okay. is kind of a subset, but oh, primarily okay. I work with women. And what I notice uh, very often is a pattern of people-pleasing, a pattern of overgiving and giving to try to get. Um, you know, uh, what else do I see? I also see so many women, at least many, many women I work with are very capable educated, professional, yep. go-getters, high achievers, and it's very hard for them to ask for help. And there's a sense of, I should be able to do this all myself. And that asking for help is a failing or a weakness. And I've had to learn this in my own relationship. And I've realized, because my fiance has said this over and over again, you know, I love doing things for you. Ask me for help. Don't wait till you're dragging and Mm, yeah, you know, almost expired on the yeah. floor before yeah. you ask for anything. Like you can ask earlier in the game and never have to get that worn out. And and so I've had to really learn this myself. And it's something I see a lot in my clients because I think when you're a driven, successful, you know, high achievement kind of woman, it can be hard to pivot and soften and allow and slow down and receive and really open to the more being side. I, I tend to talk more doing and being versus masculine feminine because I think gender words get very confusing and we all have both inside of us and 
it just gets so confusing. So I like to talk more about getting stuck in the doing and the kind of rabbit hole of do, 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 as opposed to learning to rest more in our being and allow things to come to us and do the appropriate action, but not the too much doing. And so I, I tend to talk a lot and teach a lot in that intersection of doing and being and how to flow between both skillfully in such a way that your business feels great, your relationship feels great, you feel great in both. Uh, my tagline is a great relationship starts with you. Mm -hmm. And so my interest is who you be in the partnership and then what gets created together by the two of you, each being yourselves, fully expressed, ideally, truthful, real with each other. And then what is the union? What is the magic that gets created with these people who are coming together, like you described, you and your husband, in support of each other? You know, you're coming, you're bringing your full self, and you're supporting each other in being your full selves. That's really the relationships I think that are going to change the world. Mm. And very few people live those. Wow. That's really beautiful. I can imagine. So I'm listening to you a little bit through the lens of myself. I'm definitely a doer. Um, <laughs> no, I, I think I, it's the world we're living in today, really. Yeah. It's really the soup we simp swim it's, in, it's isn't soup it? We are swimming in. We are overstimulated, overcommitted, overwhelmed. Um, and I do, you know, I teach also this distinction of doing and being and allowing. And yet I'm also still a student of it. So, Same. yeah. So can you deepen that a little bit more, Marie Elizabeth? How do you teach people to lean into the allowing, uh, or do you teach it? You know, so you just, yeah, say more about your, your thinking about that. I would love to hear more about it. Well, it really begins first with awareness and with attention and with mindfulness. So any, whichever of those words you like, but first you have to be aware, oh, I, I, default to doing like if you don't even know that right. that's what you're doing you're just doing all the time without thinking you're about just that. doing all the time without thinking about if you're not even aware that you're stuck in doing yeah. that's where you begin because awareness is the first step to change of course and then what i like to teach is is creating small steps tiny habits i i love that book tiny habits but it's also really creating small ways to insert a wedge between you and the doing. And, you know, whether that's, it's different for everybody. I don't, I'm, I'm not doing. Yeah. yeah. So for example, uh, having a, an alarm on your phone, obviously this, not when you're on calls, but at a time when you're not on calls, maybe you put a ding on your phone that goes off a couple times a day that reminds you to take a few breaths and you just come back to yourself and you take some breaths in that moment and you just practice bringing yourself back again and again and and bringing yourself back to oh how do i feel in my body what am, you know even think about i'm a person who tends to have my weight forward i i'm a new yorker i'm a go-getter <laughs> i tend to i'm out here in front of myself much of the time yeah. so often throughout the day i have to remind myself oh wait 
weight back in my heels? What is it to have to be stacked on my legs, not to be out here in front? So I just bring myself back into my body. Like that, that's where you begin. And because of my Chinese medicine background, I really love this metaphor of, well, it's not a metaphor, but I'll speak about it like a metaphor, the, the, the way chi works and the way our energy and life force works in the body. And most of us tend to have a default that we think to have things change or to get what we want in life. We have to go get it. That's a very Western American kind mm -hmm. of mindset. Yeah. Whereas if you learn to allow and do exercises, because I do Qigong practice mm -hmm. myself, and sometimes I have a few exercises I show clients. I'm not a Qigong teacher and I don't put myself out as one, but I do show people exercises that are helpful. That when given the chance, your life force knows what to do. Your chi knows what to do. So the more you can remove the impediments to it, the more, in other words, impediments like sitting all day long will have your low back get tight, right? Will have your body stagnate. So the more you get up and do some movement and shake yourself out, you know, you can just do a simple exercise of shaking yourself out, your legs and your arms, boom, all of a sudden you're more in your body, you're enlivened, you have more energy, you're more centered, and then you can take your next action from a centered place. Beautiful. So I really work with exercises and ways throughout the day to bring yourself back to yourself so that you are then doing the doing with your being behind it. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. I love that. So practical and concrete. I love that. You bet. I have another question for you. When people come to you, I, I assume sometimes, maybe often, when they're at a, a fork in the road, do I stay or do I go? Is you know, yeah. is this relationship beyond repair? How, how do you help people? Just for listeners, I'm not in that place, fortunately. Thank you, God. But I know some of our listeners will be. And yeah. <clears throat> What are, you know, and of course they're all specific and it depends on a million things. I do appreciate that. And I also assume there are some common themes. So what kinds of themes do you have people look at when they're at that, that uh, fork in the road of trying to decide, do I stay? Do I go? Do I continue to invest? Or do I, you know, kind of pull back and redirect my relational energy? I like to take a research oriented approach. So I like having people try something and see what happens and then adjust, try something else, see what happens. Because two people in a relationship create what I call your union. It's also called the third. Some people call it the third body. Uh, Robert Bly wrote a beautiful poem called The Third Body. And so there's you in the relationship, the other person in the relationship, and then the apex of the triangle is the union that's created by the field or the union that's created by the two of you. And so I like training people to look at the field more than, because people, first of all, when we're deciding whether or not to stay or go, we tend to be polarized in sort of yeah. my way and their way. And so I train people to look instead at the field, at the fabric of the union is there something that needs to be done to tend to that? So same like the plant metaphor, are you watering the soil of the relationship? In other words, are you actually talking to each other at all? Are you, and, and when I say talking to each other, not, oh, would you pick up this at the store? Yes, oh, I got such and such, let's watch this tonight. 
I'm talking about letting each other into your interior space. And not that it has to be like, we need to have a five hour conversation about, I'm talking about very simple gestures of what, what the Gottmans called bids for connection. Mm-hmm. And so if you make a bid for connection, like, hey, I'd love to know, you know, what's most exciting for you right now in your life? Uh, what are you most excited about? And see what comes back toward you. Do they open up? Do they share their inner world with you? Do they respond? If you come toward, do they move away or do they come toward you? So in the beginning, it's really about researching, is this salvageable? And if you make, for example, I had a client recently, things have felt quite flat. They've been married a long time. And she noticed that lately he wasn't joining her. Their their kitchen is on a different level, you know, so he wasn't joining her. If she was making dinner, she was often making it by herself. And then he would show up to eat. And she had a desire for him to just be around in the same room while she cooked. Not that he had to have all his attention on her. He could be working, but that that at least they feel together. Yeah, yeah. And so she made that request. Now, this is a tricky thing because if there's a lot of resentment built up over years of feeling undervalued and like you're the maid or something like that, if that's happening, then that's where you have to start is moving your resentment, finding a way to vent it out, finding a way to release it so that when you do make a request of your husband or wife, whatever gender you all are in the couple, in the coupledom, uh, when you do make a request, it's clean. Because if you have a bunch of backed up resentment, your request is likely going to come out wonky. And then your partner is stuck with trying to figure out, do I, do I respond to the request? Or do I respond to this emotional charge that I also am feeling? It creates a cognitive, what I call a cognitive dissonance. And when there's a cognitive dissonance, then the request often gets forgotten because you've just confused, you've short-circuited the system. So so what I'm about to say, the caveat is you have to have your resentment out of the way first. Then you can make a request. Like my client made a request. Hey, I'd love it if you came and hung out with me while I cooked and we can chat or you can work. I'm, I'm open to whatever feels good, but I want you around. And he started doing that of his own volition. I mean, he said, sure, I can do that. But then he started doing it without her having to ask. And that felt really good. And that says to me, oh, that plant is revivable. Yeah. So, you know, you start making little requests and see what they do. Now, if the person doesn't change at all, or if they move away and they're like, why would I want to do that? Then there's scorn and disdain and all of that has infected the relationship and it may not be revivable at that point. I have another example, if you'd like to hear that one. So another example from another longtime married client, they were on the brink of divorce. He was threatening divorce. And what needed to happen in that relationship was uh, he, he tended to be very critical and, and try to sort of get power over her by being mean. So in her case, she really needed to build her backbone and, and show him that she just wasn't going to take that anymore. And she loved him and wanted to be with him. And so she started not taking the bait. So the things that used to get a rise out of her, he would sort of get 
you know, as people, we kind of like, we like electricity. So one of the ways he would try to get electricity from her would be to piss her off. And so he would say something to try to get a rise out of her and just whoosh, nothing. And she just really held clear who she is. She remembered herself as a powerful person. We we did all that work. She and I did all that work together. Spontaneously, he started complimenting her without her He's like, without her asking for it, he would say, oh, you look nice today. He started helping out in the kitchen without her asking for it. So something, because something shifted in her field around what she was willing to tolerate, he snapped to attention and they, and it wasn't a conversation they ever had to have in the 3D, like in the verbal thing. So that is the thing I noticed a lot. If a relationship is salvageable, one partner can begin to shift the dynamic and it will shift for the better. If it's not salvageable, one partner can try shifting the dynamic and it doesn't shift or it gets worse. Then that, then there might need to be a more over, Hey, are you willing to work on this with me? I had this similar thing. I'm not a relationship coach per se, but when I first started my coaching practice way back in the mid 1990s, I'd been a psychotherapist for many years. So I wanted to be sure I was really distinguishing my coaching from my psychotherapy with uh, male business owners. And uh, the the men would always hire me for some business thing. And all of them, sooner or later, what would come up is their marriage wasn't working. Mm. And because I was only working with the men, all I could work on was them, their their attitudes, their intentions, their behavior, their uh, desires and how they were communicating that. So, um, and I, I mean, I think I saved more marriages as a coach than I did as a psychotherapist because as a therapist- I love that. Yeah. As a therapist, by the time people get to your office, it's so toxic, you know, by the it's time so they- It's so far gone. So far gone that, you know, sometimes there's a repair, sometimes not. But with coaching, usually it hasn't gotten that bad, right? Because they are they really are coming in because their business needs help. And we would do the work around yeah. that as well. But inevitably, something would come up around their marriage. And I got so many emails from the wives that would say, I don't know what it is that you're doing with my husband, but keep it up. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I I see a similar thing. And, and that's really why I love working with couples before they get to that point. Yeah, right? And when I say couples, I mean, typically the women, but uh, because there is so much that can be shifted. And, and the reality is that we're not taught how to relate well. We right, go to not. school to learn our profession. We go to school for everything else. And we're somehow supposed to know how to relate, but we were raised by imperfect people and we have this steady diet of romantic movies and TV that create this unrealistic picture of what relationship is. And we just, most of us do not have skill in navigating what's happening for us and how, because we're also not trained how to be mindful about what's in here you know, we're like disembodied heads running around most of right. us. So we're not right. actually plugged into our, our bodies are, I call them the barometer. I, I mean, I have lots of, I call it, uh, one of my favorite terms is the internal operating system because yeah, people are so too. computer or you call it that. I do the iOS. I, I got yeah. into a program years ago. Oh, yeah. that's so cool. High five. Yeah. I mean, I just, yeah, I came to me in meditation one day and it, yeah. it was like, oh, 
yeah, it's we're not trained on how to read the internal operating system. So we lob stuff out there and kind of expect other people to fix it and handle it instead of, you know, really taking ownership of ourselves or having self-leadership, really, which is what I teach is basically self-leadership in context of what's being brought up for you by the mirror of your relationship. And what do you want to give? You know, so it's it's not self-leadership in this silo of my little space. It's self-leadership in how I show up with other people, which for many of us, we need to know how to do that better. Beautiful. Wow. Marie Elizabeth, this is such a stimulating and, and practical and engaging conversation. Listen, I know people are going to want to know more about you and, and follow up with you after this conversation. Where's the best way for people to get in touch with you and, and find you and your work? Well, two ways. Uh, check out my Relationship Alchemy podcast, and I look forward to having you on there at some point soon. And uh, so Relationship Alchemy podcast is available on YouTube and all the major channels, as well as my website is relationshipalchemy.com. And on that site, right at the top, you'll see a link for two different assessments. One is for single people and one is for partnered people. And with this assessment, it takes about four or five minutes to answer the questions. It's a it's a click. You know, you don't have to write anything. It's just a choice type quiz. And you see very quickly what areas of your relationships are working well. And this includes your relationship with yourself as well as others what areas are great and where you need to focus your attention to improve. And yeah. so this assessment very quickly gives you a clear picture. And that's a great way to get started looking at and thinking about relationships in this different way. Right. And what's the, the website again? Relationshipalchemy.com. Beautiful. Thank you so much for being with us on the Conscious Living Podcast and your contribution to our world where we're seeking to educate, empower, and enlighten our relationships. Thank you so much, Marie Elizabeth. Thank you, Jackie.